Trek Season 3, coming at you like M&M's. All the world loves the writer's block. Pure comic talk joy for everyone. Melting in your mouth, not in your hand. But with a hard candy shell. There you go. Uh, all the colors of the rainbow. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter. Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, comic book writer, screenwriter, uh, drinker of coffee. Nice. And if you missed any of our uh, previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes. I'm going to skip one purposely. And uh, just do the general, all purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check that stuff out. Uh, you got plugs this week or what? Do I have plugs this week? Uh, currently running is an Indiegogo for a project called The Death of Elvira, which is uh, kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, Elvira's 40th anniversary was last year. And to celebrate it, I asked uh, Cassandra's kind permission to kill her, and she uh, went along with that and thought it was a funny premise. And uh, so that's 32 issues, 32 pages of uh, comic goodness brought to you by me and uh, Sylvia Califano, incredible artist, and uh, the always present, always wonderful Taylor Esposito. And I think the color is Walter Pereira. Pereira. Sorry, Walter. I always stumble over that. What do you got coming up, Ryan? Uh, well, I have it on the strictest authority that uh, the trade paperback for my latest and greatest, my tokusatsu joint uh, from Source Point Press, Suicide Jockeys, uh, will find its way finally into any and all comic shops uh, uh, today, I guess. Um, I'm doing the math because we're recording this a little bit before. But you should be able to go down to your comic shop right now and pick that shit up finally. Um, there were uh, printing delays because of paper shortages and all of that noise. Um, and then a little diamond hiccup in terms of the warehousing and all that stuff. But it is there. So go get it. And it is lovely. Awesome. And it is Congratulations. Awesome. Uh, I, I, a 9.2 currently, I think, on uh, Comic Book Roundup, if that matters to you. People have been digging it. So, uh, you know, and then the other thing is, um, uh, we'll talk about this uh, a little bit more, but we're all going to be at, uh, at WonderCon. Yes. Uh, my next book, Fa Shung uh, Origins, will, will be announced. So come on down and see us at, uh, at, at WonderCon uh, next week. And we'll talk more about that later, but let's uh, let's get the gang in. Absolutely. Let us welcome to the show Christy Shin and Don Wynn. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, kids. Welcome to the show. Don, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I am Don Wynn, also known as Winning It uh, on most social media handles. I am a comic book artist. People know me from helping out Puncher co creator Jerry Conway with his Calls for Justice uh, fundraiser for BLMLA, and other people know me from Inktober, or also from uh, doing sketch cards for Marvel and Upper Deck, and also my Pablo the Gorilla uh, creator-owned comic. I should have I, I should have saved the uh, Charlie Sheen intro for uh, for Don. Would have been a perfect... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was winning. Hashtag winning. Yeah. yeah. But he doesn't have HIV, so that's... that's no. But oh, speaking of speaking of tiger blood, uh, Christy, tell us a little bit about yourself. There you go. Well, there you go. Well, my ethnicity is Korean. This will be important later. Maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've been recently elected the president of CAPS Comic Arts Professional Society. Comic Art Professional Society. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's 
40, 40 years old and it's founded by one of the main founders is Sergio Argonas. We know him by Gru and for Mad Magazine. I do a comic called Demon Bitch. It's a low level demon from the 13th pit of hell where people throw their dog shit and gum wrappers. And she wants to bring the second coming of Armageddon, but the first one never happened because she's stupid. I'm running a Kickstarter. I know we're going to talk about that. And also, I just recently did an event, spearheaded an event called Asian Invasion because I was doing a really troll graphic and I wanted to do it. So, <laughs> And it's called the full title of the event that was on the 19th was Yellow It. Uh, Asian Invasion, Yellow Peril, because I was playing off of the yellow journalism shit that they were doing throughout the early 20th century, and I think a little earlier than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, Don was Don was in it right there. Don was <laughs> and then he put out the event appropriately as everybody else did at the comic bug. Yeah, I know. I have to kind of go opposite, sort of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You the mirror mirror mirror. Mirror. You the opposite way. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. And um, so yeah, so it's funny because it's like. During the event and towards the end, I had a lot of Asian people come up to me and said, like, we really needed this and we don't have any representation. And June, the owner of the comic bug, really liked it. So mm -hmm. he wants to do it again during actual AAPI month um, in May. And Great. we're going to advertise it. This is tentative for a free comic book day. I don't know how many creators, many more or about the same amount of creators. And hopefully it'll be, it looks like to be later on in May. That's how everybody's schedule is working out. But it turned out to be really great. That's fantastic. Who else was uh, participated, artists and uh, comics-wise? Uh, Don, okay, so there is Don here. Don, <laughs> he can he can also correct me because I'm kind of shitty at like the names because I had to break it up into people. So there is Mog Park. She's the illustrator of Game of Thrones for Il Game of Thrones. We know that. She's the official illustrator, I think, or one of the officials. Yes, yeah, one of the official uh, concept artists and illustrators for Game of Thrones. Um, she's done a lot of uh, character designs, background work, accessory designs. So, cool. uh, she's, you know, she's, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's power. She's a powerhouse. And um, there was Don Ho and Immortal Studios. We talked about that. They're one of the not originators, but they're one of the comics that do the Wuxia, Wuxia. I think that's how Wuxia. you say it. Wuxia. 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 Wuxia um, genre which is like the mystical martial arts that's what i've been heard described like crouching tiger hidden dragon type stuff um if that's accurate uh and we had hide hermit studios we had the un twins we had lock Lim, we had ninja mom ren hanami and don schmidt and my console on when they did the comic book out of order is that all of them done my brain uh, i think we got everybody yeah okay cool, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like a crowded house, and you had a nice turnout for it. Really yeah. nice, yeah. Really nice crowd came out, um, and even people who didn't know about the event that were just there uh, for the shop were surprised by the event, and uh, really came by and supported a ton of amazing indie creators. And, you know, we have creators that obviously Don Ho is an anchor currently for uh, Marvel's Silver Surfer Rebirth. Uh, I think Moon Knight and another time he's on three books. The man yeah, is just working. Yeah, I know he's currently doing Silver Surfer. I know he's worked for DC as well. As in yeah, he's yeah. worked for almost everybody. Um, yeah. I think he, I believe he started out at Top Cow uh, okay. or Wildstorm. Oh, so. and, he's, and he's local to Southern California. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's local. He'll also be uh, with us at WonderCon. So please be on the lookout. And uh, if you follow me on social media, I post a friends list. And uh, I always try to uh, retweet, repost, reshare all my friends' uh, panels and stuff. So please pay attention to that. Oh, he's a great support. idea. What comic uh, oh, Go ahead. No, he's also leading the social media team also at Caps as well. 
it's Great. a new in, in comic art professional society as well. Get us into the 21st century. <laughs> nice. but where we comic bug is in Manhattan Beach. Am I remembering that right? Or is that is yes. that Santa Monica? Yeah. They, uh, they have two locations. So uh, they have the Manhattan Beach, which is the original store and the biggest. And then they also have a Culver City location, but the event was at Manhattan Beach. Okay, great. Yeah, the store is bigger at Manhattan Beach, so it was able to house everybody inside. Sure. Yeah, I was going to ask. That sounds like a lot of people for inside one. Con that sounds like more more creators than most comic book stores have customers uh, yeah. at a particular moment. So that's a lot. Were the, and it was all able to be contained inside. It was not like a parking lot thing or anything. No. no, no, no. Yeah, they're they're a big shop because they actually have two sides. There's two different stores. So there's a game hub that they have that specializes ah. in card and board games, tabletop games, and then the other side is all comics, toys, and other comic book paraphernalia. Yeah, so it's just like it was really cool because it was like I we obviously picked that store, and I actually went walked down and talked with June and kind of arranged it, and they actually were having a pretty much almost a full game room in that time as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, it's a pretty big store considering. I think it's one of the bigger ones that I've known. I haven't been to mm -hmm. all everybody, but a lot of the stores that I know of are kind of smallish a little bit. Yeah. And is that why you picked it, uh, Christy, particularly because of the size or was there something else? There was something else. I mean, yeah. the thing is, is that I kind of had this, like I came up with a shirt design out of like a heart, like, um, okay, so this is how my brain works. Like I sort of pony off things. So there's this movie called Nobody. Remember with um, Steve? Odenkirk. Odenkirk, yeah. I think yeah. it was Yeah, Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk, thank you. Because there's another guy that did the faces, like the mouth things, and his name was similar. Anyway, Bob Odenkirk, there was a movie called Nobody, and there's this one where he fights the Russian mafia, and then it they were playing the Pat Benatar's version of Heartbreaker, right? So I just drew this whole like action movie thing, and then it was like this person throwing the cigarette with the Uzi blasting, you know, the 80s, you know, how we all fucking were at that time. And then I just decided to do Asian Invasion because fuck it, why not? And then it kind of like formulated sick little embryo in my head. And um, I did present it to June about January, February, but all the crime was happening. So he was a bit concerned, but I did it because it was kind of to fuck around in a way and to make a joke out of the whole thing. But, you know, I kind of am sort of a little bit of an asshole that way. So, and I said, you know, June's, his background is Japanese. People would get to see, and I brought it up to him, and he really liked it. He thought it was funny. So I said, "Yeah, nobody's going to give you shit. You know, they're not going to give me shit for doing it." Right. So um, we came up with a concept, uh, and I came up with a concept, but we had to wait until March of this day, like the day before yesterday, because Omicron was there. We were not exactly sure when things were going to be let in and full capacity on some stores, because even though we they were allowed to legally on a lot of areas, but a lot of stores were a bit reticent on that. So I had to listen to June about that. But sure. when they gave the go ahead, which was like a few weeks ahead of time, because, you know, June's very mindful of like how promotion and marketing goes, you know, you can't just say, oh, the week before and expect to be great, you know, unless like you're advertising like Mark Wade or whatever, who the fuck was there. So I just went ahead and so we did it and I picked the 19th and I asked Don when, and I always pretty much ask Don for my events because not only is he a talent artist, he's a fucking pro rate hoe. Like he he knows like, oh, he, like I well no, it's we always joke about it. Like Donna, <laughs> you have a great business experience on this one. The thing is, is that like I'm pretty good at promoting, but he really gets it down. Like the Twitter shit and everything. Like I said, who's this Twitter account? And he said, Oh, that's I'm doing this one. And I said, Okay, you know. But he's good at picking out Twitter. Like he 
mm -hmm. calls out people on Twitter, not in a bad way, but like, hey, look at this artist. Hey, look at that artist. And I can't oh, yeah. keep track of shit like that, you know, but he's able to. So Don was like relentlessly promoting. He's a good promoter. So I asked him and he knows good people. So he suggested Peter and um, Peter and Don Ho. And I had my group of people. I already knew the UN twins and I know they had a following. So I grabbed them. Locke had a good following. I think Mar he does Marvel deck and Marvel deck. Yeah, Marvel he's Marvel. also an upper deck uh, Marvel yeah, artist. Deck well. And then we but, had yeah. also, um, we also had Ninja Mom and all that. So we had the kids book version. And then Hyde mm -hmm. Hermit, they're kind of an indie sort of pen manufacturer and toy manufacturer, things like that. And then Mike and Soul, they're known for, they were put in, I think, comic book resources of one of the top comics, top 10 comics. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Yeah, CBR uh, chose them as number nine. So they were top 10 uh, comic books to pick up at LA Comic Con uh, yeah. in last December. And then obviously a lot of us were also involved in Nightmare Theater, which was the number one book. Uh, that was yeah. put together by Bloodline Comics from uh, Clay Adams and David Schrader, uh, yeah. who are great guys. Shout out to them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we, among our friends, we definitely had two of the top 10 comics uh, picked by CBR out of LA Comic Con last December. Yeah. Nice. I, mean, I mean, Don's also like been ranked high on Amazon. I'm a Ringo Award winner, you know, for art. So it's like, it was a good, very eclectic mix of people. Mm -hmm. And I made sure. Like yeah, yeah, because it's like a, Don has his Don Ho has his fandom. Don Wynn has his fandom. I have my fandom. Maude has her fandom, and I made sure to try to arrange it so that there was traffic that could flow throughout the store. Because right. you had the other room, and then this room, and then the back. It wasn't like all in a row in one room. So I, I had think. to work with that. So, and, and um, it was a good dry run for WonderCon too, because a lot of us are going to see each other again there. Yeah, I think all of us actually are going to be at WonderCon from Asian Invasion. Yeah, I believe so. Are you guys uh, doing any panels at WonderCon? I myself am not, as far as I know. Um, I haven't been asked to yet, uh, but I'm just going to have my stuff in Artist Alley. And Great. I'll be r running a Kickstarter tomorrow, so that'll go for 45 days. So I'll be probably like talking about the Kickstarter for WonderCon. I'll probably have this glaze look like Kickstarter. Yes. Yeah. Well, there, you'll be sitting there on, you know, hitting refresh. Like <laughs> seeing that is the, the, the Kickstarter, you know, the 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 twitch the twitchy hitting of the refresh button to see if you made more money yes. in the last five minutes. Uh, it's stuck on mobile too, like the app yes. stuck on mobile because you're like can't write updates and shit like that. No. Yeah, you can't. I mean, just... I'm 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 too old to write pretty much anything on my phone. I think there's, <laughs> there's I think there's an age at which, like, you pick up the phone and you go, you know what? I'm just gonna type this on my computer. I'm gonna I'll send it some <laughs> other way. I can't I can't be bothered. Yeah. God bless voice to text. That's all I can. That's all Grandpa can say about the because uh, there are things they get wrong though. My phone, my phone does know how to spell Ryland though, so that's you know. Yeah, it's about time. My yeah. my, my, my phone still does not get the curse words for some reason. I, I don't know if there's a switch I can flip or what. You know what it is? I will tell you what it is, and it's hilarious. This What's is a this? true fact. Put someone in your contacts whose name is every curse word that it won't spell out for you interesting because ah. that's one of the places the dictionary on your phone draws from yeah. because proper names yeah it doesn't want to constantly be auto correcting ryland yeah, so yeah. eventually it figures out oh he means the guy in his phone book named ryland so i literally have someone in my phone book named fuck fuck fucker uh, <laughs> and, uh, so 
when I first did it, the funniest thing is because of that, it always capitalized fuck. Yeah. Uh, when I taped it, <laughs> when I typed it, which I thought was really funny. It's like, I should, I should go in there and say that Mr. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fucker is actually like E.E. E. Cummings and uses all. Yeah. There, 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 there should be a patch or something. I don't know about this, yeah. like, you know, puritanical, like, yeah. uh, uh, spell check, autocomplete thing that we have going on acting like, you know, nobody fucking. I should, I should write a dystopian fantasy where everyone uses the word duck because they just gave mm -hmm. up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of just used sheer persistence with mine. So yeah, it just targeted the fact on my phone. Like now, I write fuck, it'll let me write fuck. You know? I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't remember where it was. If it was a, a Microsoft Word thing back in the day, or a Final Draft thing back in the day, but you used to be able to do add to dictionary. Oh you know, yeah, you can still do that on yeah, Microsoft Word. Well, yeah. well, it, so, so, you, what's that? You don't remember Clippy, that little fucker, like the little. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I remember Clippy. I just don't. I, I just didn't remember exactly where where the add to dictionary. But why isn't there an add to dictionary? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a right click. Yeah. If you hi highlight a, a word and right click it, it gives you the add to dictionary. Yeah, function. but it's not. It's not on the phone, though. Is my point. No, it's definitely not on. It's definitely not. Yeah. But yeah, I want to write something that takes place twenty years in the future where everyone just says "duck you, man, duck yeah, you, man." Yeah, 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 get yeah. it? You got tired I, of yeah. selling our phones, you know? I, yeah, I've been writing professionally for like sixteen years now, so there's not a single fucking curse word or part of the body or anything that has not been added to dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all in there now. But I move over to my phone, and then suddenly, you know, I it takes me three tries to get shit down. Um, and and if you oh yeah, you know, it does shut. It does yeah, shut. Yeah, if you've talked with me in person, you know that that could be debilitating. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I was just I just looked up a quote uh, in the early fifties. Norman Mailer wrote a book called The Naked and the Dead, which is about World War Two, mm -hmm. and he wanted to be realistic, so he used, but there was still you know boundaries to what you could put in a novel so he used fug f-u-g yeah, and there's a famous story at a cocktail party he was introduced to the movie star Tallulah Bankhead who was probably pretty aged at the time and they said Miss Bankhead this is Norman Mailer and she said oh you're you're that young man who can't spell nice <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think my favorite one is is Battlestar. You know, Battlestar was oh, crack and felt yeah, yeah and, it was just supposed to be the oh, spin off of, of our world in the end. And so yeah, it's like people just talking about fracking each other right and left. And yeah. Don't have to worry oh, about the that. answer. This is just what we call it. And it was, you know, instead of oh my god, it was oh my gods, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like the fact that in the original series they tended to use frack just like as a standalone yeah. frack and fracking, but you never heard it used as meaning having sex. Yeah. Like no one on the, in 1979 was saying, did you fracker, you know, <laughs> uh, or something like, like they didn't go that far, but in the yeah. movie, they were like, no, every possible yeah, yeah. application of frack, mother fracker, like they used every, they made sure they hit it all, which, you know. I have some certain now, respect for that. In today's time, it makes so much sense because you're penetrating that shale. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. Frackers. Right, yeah, that's not a bad evolution of how we get no. there. You know? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's funny. Well, tell us about your upcoming uh, uh, Kickstarter, Christy. What's, or I shouldn't say upcoming. It, this is going to air Wednesday, so it started yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's pretend that it started yesterday. Uh, so what's, yeah. What's so, the title? What's it about? 
Well, the title of the Kickstarter itself, the campaign, I always like naming my campaigns different than the book. The campaign is titled You All Suck, basically. Like this last two years, fuck the last two years kind of thing. Right. Um, so it was kind of funny. So the book is called Triggered. So here I am stuck inside for a majority of the two years, never really venturing out. Um, mm -hmm. I had gone through a pancreatic tumor in 2019 recover and was recovering from this the whole time of COVID. I was just like, what the fuck is this shit, right? So I'm just drawing and drawing and drawing and watching world events and just being in my own internet and my own bubble of friends. And I'm just like going, and I think it was just, everybody just was really upset about fucking everything. And I was just in this rare time and place where I had already been through a really fucked up life-changing experience twice. It was like, um, as a quick background, you guys already know, but I'll give a quick background. 2019, basically I got invited to play two rounds of Russian roulette that I never fucking got, I remember getting the invite for. I went into the emergency room because I thought I had a latent infection. It turned out I had a six inch pancreatic tumor. And they first tell me, oh, chances are it's malignant. So, you know, cancer. Then mine turns out to be the three to 5% that is not cancerous immediately. So they took it out. And as they took it out, they said to me, not while I was on the operating table, obviously, but before they said, oh, chances are you might be diabetic. I'm like, what the fuck? So twice I went through the Russian roulette game and twice I did not have a bullet in my head. So I'm happy. So after that, you know, you're kind of like in a sort of level of Zen, you would probably understand that. So when COVID was hitting and everybody was screaming at every one thing and that due to like bad things, but on top of the bad thing, they were bored out of their skull because they were fucking stuck in quarantine. They were stuck with the very same people repeatedly over and over and over again. So it was this big tangled ball of fuck and everybody was just angry about everything. And I'm like, okay. So I, that's hence the title of the book triggered. And then some of my other friends that had worked with me, like um, Mary Zoralita Bellamy, she actually did, um, I think, My Little Pony, the newest, uh, I think, Tales of Equestria, it's off the top of my head. I'm sorry, Mary. But she just recently came out with, she had worked on the My Little Pony card game that's coming out that you can pre-order. And it's in the Kickstarter. I told her, I put a reference to that in Kickstarter. But she did Animu Demon, which was a Sailor Moon version of Demon Bitch. So I'm putting that as a charm. I'm also nice. putting out three prints of hers that are signed that are four by six, and you can order one to all three of them. I also have my friends at Hyde Hermit Studios, Connie and Dallas. So Connie did Tommy Tamabichi, which is like two expressions of demon bitch and glow in the dark enamel pin. So you can buy one or the other or both. And she actually has a piece of original art up, up for sale as one of the rewards, one piece. And Dallas actually loves tiki stuff so he did a demon bitch design of the patch that's going to be woven and then he did a sticker version of it nice that's what we have immediately and we'd eventually like to see if i want to see if i can break 77.5k and actually make a good number of it hardcover so you can have a better quality pile of 137 pages of shit so there you go but and then we might i mean i might throw in goodies like a magnet or some pasties just to make you feel sexy i have no idea i don't care who you are but <laughs> let's do that i mean i just want to see how far this goes and go from there nice very nice and it runs 45 days you said yes because if i did it in 30 days i think i would cry sure make me cry sure the 30 days definitely makes me cry almost every time so i oh. i can understand that and uh, don yeah. what have you got coming up with that 
Uh, you've uh, got one. You've got one out going now, right? A Kickstarter yeah, so now. I am a part of Orange Cone Productions' Cthulhu Invades Wonderland, the sequel to Cthulhu Invades Oz. So, for fans of uh, the Elder Gods, if you want to see them rampaging through Wonderland, please come support that on Kickstarter. And then uh, Michael Tanner, who does Junior Braves of the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Wheeler, who's known for uh, a lot of wrestling design and comic uh, illustration work. He and uh, those two guys and I are teaming up with Travis Webb, and we are putting out Battle Grapple Rebel. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember me talking about it. Finished penciling that last year. Uh, Dave Wheeler is doing the inks and the letters on that. And then we are looking to launch April 1st. So please look out for that. I'll be promoting that all throughout Kickstarter. I think it's a fantastic book. Throwback to our conversation about Battlestar Galactica. Cool. It's essentially uh, kayfabe meets Battlestar Galactica is how I've been pitching it. Nice. You know, John, let me know and then we'll switch updates or something. Yeah, of course. And then uh, Retro, the other project, is uh, slated to get colored by Ellie Wright, who's worked with you, David. Um, oh, yeah. I love Ellie. Yeah, she's fantastic. And so she's going to be doing the coloring for Retro. Uh, she'll have 17 pages to do, as I've done 10 pages for Pitch already. And uh, I think we're looking to crowdfund that, but also print out some copies to take uh, to cons with us. So please be on the lookout for that. And then I just recently finished a, a brand new set for Marvel Upper Deck, which I cannot talk about, but will probably be dropped uh, or I'll be able to show some artwork from it uh, in the fall. So probably September-ish, look around the time cool. of the City Comic Con for that. But you talked about it. I know, but I didn't mention what it exactly was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, be on the lookout for that. And then I'll see all of you guys at WonderCon. Uh, that yeah, we will, be... we will be there. I have a couple of panels. Can't remember what they are, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll promote them. We'll get those out there. No, you mentioned Lovecraft, and this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks for some reason, that it's hard to think of another creative person, writer, artist, anything, who's the gulf between who he really was and what he did and his influence on the world is so enormous. And he was such a shitty human being and a racist but the racism isn't really baked into his work in the work, sense yeah. that unless you're unless you're racist against giant shellfish <laughs> uh you know, or you know squids from outer space like then you well this is wildly offensive um but that that you can play in that garden that lovecraft created yeah and i think i was trying to think of what it is and i think it's because he created a genre all by himself yeah. Which is, you know, Poe had done the poetic earthbound horror mm-hmm. and Lovecraft comes along and says, but what about outer space yeah. <laughs> as the source of the poetic earthbound ho- horror? And I think simply because no one has ever done it, though, here's the other possibility. The reason we all use Lovecraft is because he was lazy about his copyright and his stuff fell into the public domain almost immediately. And he even encouraged his fellow creatives while he was alive to use his universe and his stuff. And, you know, so everybody's writing Lovecraft characters contemporaneously with him. And he's, he's cool with that. That doesn't matter. And, and also therefore you get this widespread of types of stories so even at its infancy, he invited everyone to write in this genre. So he like invented a genre and then said, everybody do it. And so you get this massive influence. 
it's 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 interesting that it's like the Sony JVC uh, VHS effect, where it's like Sony makes Betamax, uh, which is is much higher quality than than VHS. They they try to hoard the the technology for themselves; they won't share it for anyone. So JVC is like, okay, fuck you, VHS. We're gonna let everybody do it, and then suddenly VHS becomes you know this uh, this phenomenon. I, I like your theory that that uh, that Lovecraft is the JVC VHS of uh, yeah, of and he just like he, he open sources his whole universe. Yeah, and it's you know, and it's like if you want an amazing supervillain, like you can't just write Darth Vader, you can't just write Thanos. I mean, you can do what Jim Starlin did and create Thanos because you want to be writing Dark Side, and they won't let you write Dark Side. Yeah, but uh, Cthulhu is just the great open source cosmic villain. He's you know, and it basically lets you use the devil without being square. Yeah. People use it, use the religion of the old gods and you know the el- the space gods and all that. It's like Cthulhu is just basically Satan in a lot of these stories, but it's like yeah, but Satan's not cool, and Cthulhu is a giant squid-headed tentacled monster, and that's way cooler. That's you old. know, but He's yeah, the crispy calamari god rising. Yeah, yeah, it, it is certainly Kickstarter catnip. I mean, we've talked. Oh about yeah, before, like, but, but, but yeah, it, yeah. Anything that has Cthulhu in the title is immediately. If it has boobs and Cthulhu uh, in the title, then you're talking about you know six figures. Yeah, throw in a cat. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really got it. It's uh, I've told the story before. Yeah, I've told the story before, but there was a British author who discovered that the three biggest bestsellers in England were books about World War II, books about golf, and books about cats. And he literally wrote a book of humor essays, called it Golfing for Cats, and put a swastika on the cover. (laughs) He's just like, this should do it. This should be the best-selling book of all time. So yeah, on Kickstarter, it would be Cthulhu's Cat's Boobs. Yeah. Actually, um, it's kind of funny because like, I think I would make um, Lovecraft turn in his grave. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant because- Oh no, you would. My friend Lawrence and I, so Lawrence does Real Deal. Mm. Um, if you're not familiar with Real Deal comics through Fanagraphics. So it's about people in the ghetto, right? Just beating mm. each other up, shooting each other, doing horrible things to each other. Just not all around really good people. And uh, I sat down with him, and we I pen we penned out a short, I penned out a short story with him we, with his character. Says that you should put this in the comic. So he's like been working on the graphic novel and stuff. So it's going to be one of the short stories. But one of them is uh, one of them is is basically GC and the gang meet Shubnigarath on that. <laughs> they just get angel dust in and they drive all the way from L.A. to fucking New England and shit. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I can't say anymore, but we. I just, oh, man. That's a good choice. The great old one with the most racist name. <laughs> start, start there. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, he read uh, it. He thought it was fucking funny. And it's like if you read up on that particular, I think she's technically a goddess. So if you read on that particular one, you could probably go where wonder where the fuck I went with that thing. <laughs> the if I remember correctly, Lovecraft's subtitle is the black goat of the woods with the thousand young. Yeah. So wow. definitely yeah. points towards the fertility God thing. Well, not only that, but she's got lots of mouths, so we can go from there too. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
Yeah, I did my take on the old the old ones in Betty Page. Uh, I had Yog Satoth show up as a villain in a uh, in a Halloween issue, and then Lovecraft has a short story called called Pickman's Model, and I thought it was two or zero. If I was doing Betty Page, I was like, well, Pickman's supermodel. I think you know it's a really obvious gag to make. Yeah. But uh, then in Betty Page Unbound, she goes up against all of the great old ones and sort of like invading Wonderland. When I got to Cthulhu, I basically combined Neverland from Peter Pan, yeah. Skull Island from King Kong, and yeah, from the Lovecraft mythos and said, those are all kind of the same place, right? So I had the Lost Boys, you know, going up against yeah. the great old ones and all that. And it was... It basically boiled down to Tinkerbell versus Cthulhu, which is probably my favorite thing. I've, of all the things I've worked on, if you went back in time to ten-year-old me and said Tinkerbell versus Cthulhu, I would have gone, "That's the one." That's the. <laughs> you have to get go for the most ludicrous ones because they're the most interesting. That's why I think that's also why I go for underground comics. Like as a kid, I realized how warped I was by them. Like my parents, it's like interesting because they were. They were Asian, but like on some things that I could read and shit, they really didn't give a shit. So mm. they actually got me like Matt Groening's Life in Hell series. This was way before. Like, so when people go like, oh, oh so he's good. not The Simpsons. And I said, yeah, but I remember when he did Life in Hell. Yeah, and I yeah. did my own thing of Life in Hell. And I didn't realize it where I did Personal Monsters, you know, the same type of book and everything sure. else. And then that's when I moved, first moved to L.A. And then. And then I would read shit like Jimbo. I don't even remember the story of Jimbo. It was just fucking demented. You remember Jimbo, that big surf? If you look at it, it's like Jimbo something. It was around the genre of uh, Matt Groening and them. Okay. But he, was, he was on shirts too, which was weird. He's like that weird, like drawn surfer Chad looking dude. And he had like, okay. yeah, it, it's like you saw more of the shirt than the comic, but I actually read the comic and I would just pick up these really fucked up comics and I'd read them. And here I'm like, fifth grade so obviously you know <laughs> I kinda, yeah, know for that but uh but yeah i remember matt graining in the i was a big fan of life in hell before yeah. e before even moving to la i think it was in the voice i think it was in the village I, voice it was in a few publications uh, i read it yeah. when it was published like it was funny this is where i first remember first reading it okay so my parents you know how okay so they're asian right they want you to go to the best schools harvard and all that shit like Harvard and like Harvard and Stanford are like the fucking like minimal, at least in Silicon Valley Asianry, right? Right. So this is the Asianry is not an expression I have heard before, and I like it. Well, I mean, I grew yeah. up in Silicon Valley. Like, that was good. I that works. And then I grew up in Silicon Valley, so it's a totally different world. That's all I'm gonna say. The home of Apple, everything. So what's funny? It's like kind of like this utopia, kind of almost like Tafaras and Battle Angel Alita. But then you got these megalo companies like Google and shit around them. And then there's the Apple where they took over the infinity loop and now it's the Apple like arena or whatever the fuck it is now. And then we have Google cars driving around randomly with people and like, okay. And so it's like, I actually kind of had to move out of Silicon Valley. It's not that it, it's a shitty area. It's cool. But it's like, I had to kind of like be more grounded in like people. And um, it was weird because, like, I would go to San Francisco a lot, so you'd have, like, all the, like, the fucking real world shit over there and everything. Like, one, I think I used to listen to this audio called Shut Up, Little Man, another obscure thing. Oh, and, sure. I remember Shut Up, Little Man. Yeah. If you guys don't know, Shut Up, Little Man is basically two alcoholics that live together. One is gay and the other one's homophobic. 
and they're fighting all the time. And the gay dude actually beats up the homophobic dude all the time, which is weird because the homophobic dude does not use the F word, which I was really surprised considering how he was like ripping into the other guy. But right. anyway, so one of the people that were fans of Shut Up Little Man's like, yeah, we moved out and we moved to Portland, but we kind of missed the homelessness of San Francisco. So we moved back. It's like, we're happier now, you know? But, I should, for those listening, I should say that a crucial detail about Shut Up Little Man yeah. is it's not an art project. It was two guys in an apartment who were really yelling at each other. And one of their neighbors recorded every single fight they had. I friended him oh. on and that's why we know like it's not this is not like and i think people have like put it on as a theatrical piece i think people have done was in it he played peter who was in it you know the guy who played otto in um beetlejuice oh sure yeah he played peter yeah which is funny and don's having this look and it's like let me look this shit up no yeah i gotta look so it's It's not satire i'm sure you can find i'm sure listeners can find the real audio of shut up little man out there but it's just one of those weird ass pop culture phenomenons where somebody recorded their neighbors being shitty to each other and released the tapes and and the world thought it was the funniest thing in the world oh i mean they made a comic book of it here i have it oh did they really yeah, I fucking ordered it. You can, I think you can order it still, but I have it. Because the thing is, is I, I actually talked to Muhammad Al-Luni's son, the guy who gave them their alcohol. I talked to his son, and I asked him about it. This was after they shortly died, because they died in the mid-90s. Like, I think oh. Raymond died of cancer, and then P- the homophobe, and Peter, the gay guy, like, lingered on for a few years more. But, yeah, it, it sh- this is Shut Up Little Man right here. This yeah. is the shit that I grew up around. Like, this is the shit I exposed myself to. That explains a lot. The, I have to say, the Matt Groening influence on you, I never thought about it, but it's so clearly Pretty perfect, there. too. It's yeah. So clearly there. I mean, yeah, and, I mean, and it's an influence. You do, you go off in a completely different way with it than Groening did for a million reasons, obvious and less obvious. Yeah. But like I said, the influence is, is unmistakable. Yeah, like I would like copy the characters as a kid. I I got the fucking drawing Binky and Bongo and all those fuckers down to a point as a kid. Like I just would hand draw. I think I could probably still do it like out of like uh, memory, muscle memory. But I would like as a kid, like I would get all sorts of comic books. I mean, I would read all sorts of comic books, but this was shit that I would love to watch. This was like stuff in college. And and, um, I actually got the CD at some point. Um, You can go online and on the uh, the website should still be open and you could listen to some of it. It's just fucking funny. It's, so it is wild. I haven't listened to it in years and years and years, but I remember yeah. it was sort of very early mid nineties internet that it became a real phenomenon. And it was just one of those, <laughs> one of those first things that like spread around, you know? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I like the shit they would say to each other. Like Raymond would be tearing into Peter, like just screaming at him how he should die for being gay. And then Peter just says, Merry Christmas, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pete, yeah, people have done it as a stage play. People have done it as a movie. It's you know, it's it's a funny. It's just one of they those. Did Muppets do that shit too. They had Muppets. Too. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, we went on fun. Yeah, that's but that's the thing. It's like I came from that kind of thing, but like for some reason, so my parents took me to Stanford. So I go in the bookstore. It's a college bookstore. So obviously they're going to have a, like, they'll have like, oh, textbooks on like advanced physics and philosophy. And it's like, oh, here's the fucked up comic shit. Let's go read this shit, you know, because like college kids at the time, you know, they're right. not changed inherently. Like we just find the underground shit, but I don't think the underground stuff really quite left me. And um, it, I can, I, it did not leave you, Christy. 
It didn't. No. <laughs> yeah, like, I can speak authoritatively and say, no, the underground shit has not left you. I wouldn't worry about that at all. That's <laughs> not a, it is fun. I, my, uh, my alma mater, Bard, uh, has a thing called Books by Bardians. And in the Bard bookstore, there's a shelf of Bard books. And Bard being Bard, like, it's a lot of like, here's my poetry collection. Here's my, you know, my very, 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 uh, what's the word? Scholarly anthropology textbook. Here's all this. And, you know, I I wrote a snarky letter to the Alumni Association. It's like, you know, I'm out here publishing a new book every week and you guys aren't really paying any attention. You have never, ever, ever uh, acknowledged my work in any rate, shape, or form. And a couple of weeks later, they showed me a picture of the, the books by Bardian's shelf at the Bard bookstore. And it's, you know, again, like Utney Reader, my memoir of this, my my analysis of this political situation, uh, Shape of Elvira. Yes. <laughs> like, there we go. There we go. Bringing down the Bard bookstore since 1983. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I I just thought it was funny. I was like, God forbid someone writes something <laughs> that people actually read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and enjoy, uh, as opposed to this has a subscriber base of 12 academics. <laughs> you know, like and again, I don't mean to. There are a lot of incredibly talented people who went. I mean, Ronan Farrow is a Bard graduate. His book, sure, great, fantastic. Like his book is in the bookstore too. <laughs> you know, that's great. Yeah, but that's usually what it is, not comic books. Yeah, uh, I think it's like I've graduated to like Johnny Ryan now. I mean, if anybody's like ever read Prison Pit, that that's yeah. like some shit right there. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, I think, like, late in the series, like, he did get divorced. <clears throat> like, there's this one page you look at where Hannibal Fuckface is just killing, like, all, like, they're all terrible people, right? But he's killing all these, like, horrible, rapey, awful people. I mean, they're not people. They're all monsters. And he's, like, literally saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm like, that's probably, I've never been divorced, but from what I understand, hear are people that gone through divorce. It's like, that's the divorce page right there, I there think. Was uh, one of my dad's early novels, uh, my dad was a relatively gentle guy for someone who wrote hard-boiled detective novels. And I read one of his early ones, Dead Game. And in Dead Game... Great title. It's just got a... Yeah, the mystery revolves around a baseball. Nice. The first murder takes place. The guy literally dies on third. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, but the uh, the... Never got home. At the yeah, at the at the end of the book, just like who's on third? No one, because he's dead. All of the bad people are not merely punished or arrested. Like uh, two embezzlers are blow each other up with a hand grenade. Um, oh. a, a bad person is shot with a shotgun and goes crashing out in twentieth story window. Like it's not bad enough they got just got shot with a full shotgun blast. They're also falling twenty stories. And I read it and I said to him, this is the most violent friggin' thing you have ever written. What was this? And he got a thoughtful look on his face and he went, I was going through my divorce uh, when I wrote that one. <laughs> like, that was like, oh yeah, I was divorcing Lucille when I was writing uh, Dead Game. That kind of explains why everyone must die. <laughs> you know, every, it's like, I, was, I had a lot going on. I'm like, no, yeah. kidding, man, Jesus. But uh, yeah. catharsis. I've been told, like, I'm actually pretty normal for the shit that I draw. 
And it's like funny because like usually the people that draw shit like I do, like if you ever meet Johnny Ryan, like he draws really fucked up warp shit. But he's like the nicest guy. He's just really quiet. Like, but he's really nice, you know. But well, there's, that, there's that argument that a lot of good, you know, people say the same thing about I met David Cronenberg and he was like, you know, he had the personality of an accountant. I didn't really. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. Well, I, we, 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 I mean, we all have our demons and yeah. the horrible shit that we're wrestling with. And um, some of us keep it inside <laughs> and it and it boils us alive or it comes out in weird ways. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of us, I mean, if we are productive, uh, productive members of society and nice people, we find a way to channel it into something. And sometimes that's, you know, whatever, going out and playing fucking racquetball or something like that, just getting aggression out. Um, you know, whatever, some people kick their dogs, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, uh, whatever, uh, we do this. I mean, yeah, and if, you, and if yeah. you do this, it reduces your need. Yeah. Not for everybody obviously well, uh there are you know there are plenty of people who are horrible people and make art about horrible people yeah. yeah i mean that's the thing it's like i was told like i was pretty normal because most of the people that they knew that drew what i did were kind of fucked up in the head but i mean i didn't i didn't take that as like a i didn't take that as like a insult it was like oh okay cool um i mean it's not that i go out of my way to be abnormal i'm just who i am but it's funny um i remember eddie d'angelini like i was interviewed regarding like caps and all this other shit and then i went on this whole fucking rant about like our crumb and eddie you know we all know eddie d'angeli yeah. i never knew you were really into punk and i'm like what you didn't know <laughs> i'm kind of shy, shy about it but he also was saying like i never knew that you were really into underground comics because one of my rants about our crumb what i hated was like they were trying to cancel him at one point mm-hmm. and what pissed me off about it i said do you understand like what he was drawing during that fucking time Right. You know, he was lampooning white privilege where at a time it was actually like it was kind of not cool to do that because but yet it was because you had the civil rights movement. You had the women's rights movement. And here yeah. he is like drawing the worst of everything to say, hey, fuck you. This is what I grew up with. This is messed up. Like he was making fun of how fucked up it was, that old mm-hmm. shit. And it was like people were going, well, you should cancel him because you're drawing them. It's like, do you wonder you don't you fuckers don't read history, right? And you were the stupid assholes or the first ones saying, well, you know, if you can't, don't learn from history, you'll repeat it. It's like, don't edit it then, you fucking idiot. Like, that's what my- well, and the, the joke with someone like R. Crumb is, you know what? I, he lives in France. He's semi-retired. The ship has sailed. Uh, if you I, wanted to cancel him, you'd need a time machine. Uh, yeah. Actually, if you wanted to cancel him at a time where it would change anything, uh, the ship has sailed. It's the genie is at, That genie is long out of the bottle. Yeah, and the thing is, is that like it's like he's making fun of square white dudes in the fifties. Come on, you know that that's like done. That's over with. Like what he did, all this stuff was was like in the sixties and seventies. This was yeah. before some of you motherfuckers were born. And I, I'm being honest. And I just went on this whole fucking thing. Like I thought it was stupid. It mm. was kind of like when they were talking. The most recent controversy we were, I was pointing out, like with Red Room. Like you know the cover. If you've noticed, like. Red, okay, so if people don't know, Red Room is generally Ed Prisker's comic about snuff films being made and being yeah. put on the dark web for entertainment. And, um, you know, the original cover of the, I have the graphic novel, of the first volume of Mouse, where, you know, it shows Vladek and, um, like, uh, Art Spiegelman's parents, Vladek and Anya, sitting in the front in trench coats, and there's, like, a swastika with a cat thing, because 
they did an allegory of animals, like the Jews right. were the mice, the Germans were the cats, the Nazis, yeah. Germans were the cats, and all this other stuff. And the Americans were the dogs. I don't know why, but whatever. And he like, there's this one part. It's sort of semi-autobiographical, too, because he recorded his dad. He interviewed his dad, then drew it. Right. And um, so they're sitting there in front. And in Red Room, you have the victims with the yokes around them, and they're sitting kind of in the same position. People got really fucking pissed and they said, how dare you, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, um, notice this, guys. Have you noticed in both the covers, both of them are victims? Right. It's not making fun of what, like in Mouse, you're showing the Jews at that particular moment, that couple as a victim. Like you're showing these two people in these yokes going to be going and kill, getting killed in a red room for dark web entertainment. They're victims shut up people all right you know you don't have to like it you can be offended by it but call it for what it is well and, and it's 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 on the snuff film comic yeah like, if you're not offended by the snuff film comic i don't know maybe start with being offended there. <laughs> there, there, there there is this thing that is happening and it happens too often now and, and it's a shame because there is a a very serious and very important racial discussion happening right now right uh we are we are uh maturing as a culture you know uh uh, uh by decades uh now minute by minute seemingly um but there is this thing that happens where if you portray a really bad person doing a really bad thing then it gets confused with you endorsing that behavior oh well you, you can't do that you know <laughs> um uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you 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 are trying to you are trying to create a, a book, a piece of art or whatever that examines racism or homophobia or, or, or whatever in, in a very serious way. And you can't really do that without showing some of it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but there are those who can't, they can't. But let me say this though. There's also a codicil to that, which is okay. that's hard. Yeah. And sure. if you fail, you are absolutely doing what you've been accused of. People who will go, I mean, especially like white stand-up comics have been doing this for 70 years, right. literally of like, I'm going to tell a joke about racists because that lets me stand here on stage and shout the N-word 30 times. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I kind of yeah. feel like you're enjoying the shouting the N-word part more than you are that making fun of race it is a yeah it, it, it is a it is a tightrope walk certainly yeah yeah but my point is like how can you how can you make a film about world war ii <laughs> yeah. without showing some nazis you know what i'm saying oh, and, okay. and and in and, and, and showing nazis in the raiders of the lost ark you are not endorsing the nazi no, you know, but, but 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 no, we are with uh with Spielberg, he's Jewish too. So it's yeah. like, I mean, look at freaking like when yeah. Mel Brooks did History of the World and he did, he one of the vignettes was Hitler on ice. It's like, what are you going to go and get pissed at him for? It's like, he's making fun of this shit. Yeah. You know, it's like Jews in space. Come on. Like yeah. that type of shit. But again, like, like I said, but you can, you can do it badly. And it's, yeah. you know, yeah. I was, I was having a conversation yeah. about this with a couple of film critics online about, you know, it came up recently because of the scene in Licorice Pizza, which is very similar to what we're talking about. And they were arguing that if you see it with a large audience and the large audience of white people is laughing along with the guy doing the bad Asian accent, the possibility exists that you shot the scene wrong. Yeah. Possibility exists that you filmed this in such a way that you ended up 
amusing racist. I mean, it's one of the things Chappelle had the breakdown over is he saw white people laughing at his sketches that used the N-word and went, oh, shit, they're laughing at this for the opposite reason that I wanted them to laugh at this, and I have lost control. And when you lose control of it, the example I used in this conversation the other night was Unforgiven, which is a movie about the limits of violence, about how killing people destroys your soul forever. And it ends with Clint Eastwood killing a room full of ostensibly not good people, but you know in the context of the story that it means he's losing his soul forever. And I saw it with an empty, there might've been three people in there. And the hushed silence while he was doing all of this killing in that last scene and killing Gene Hackman and all that was very effective. I talked to people this last week because I said, I bet if I had seen it on a Friday night in an audience full of Clint Eastwood fans who were going, yeah, kill him, kill him, kill him, it would have been a very disturbing. I wouldn't have liked the movie so much. And I don't know that that's Eastwood's fault because the movie is actually shockingly clear but yeah. the problem with Eastwood doing it and casting himself in the part is he's basically saying to his audience, all that stuff that you admired me for the last 40 years, it's garbage and it's bad. <laughs> uh, Dirty Harry is a horrible person. The man with no name is a monster. And this is why. And now I've made a movie about how this is why. And you can understand that 90% of his audience is not going to view the movie that way is not going to go, oh, you know, Clint, now that you've uh, made a serious film about the limits of violence, I'm, I'm re-examining my reaction to Dirty Harry in 1972. No, no one's doing that. It, it, yeah, and I do love that Clint went one way and Stallone went violently the other. When, the other these, 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 oh, Ram, these Rambo sequels that he's made where he's just like with a machine gun just mowing people down as let the bodies hit the floor place in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I... I like with Expendables, it's more cartoonish about how those well, movies. It was always cartoonish. Rambo. My favorite thing in Rambo is that the North Vietnamese Army, I mean, is not the North Vietnamese Army because it took place in the present day. So they're just the Vietnamese Army. And they're yeah. literally wearing World War II Japanese Army uniforms just in case you want to like enjoy it on a, you know, like on an ironic level it's like you didn't even want to put them in the uniforms they wear you put them in the uniforms of the bad guys from world war ii movies so the audience will have an easier moral you know attachment to it but it's incoherence my favorite was that in rambo 3 that gorbachev ruined his movie by pulling out of afghanistan before the movie came out oh man so basically in the context that the movie is released, Rambo is in Afghanistan, essentially killing retreating Russian troops who are leaving and going home, you know, because the war was literally already over uh, when his war movie came out. Um, no. But it's like I said, it's a, no. it's a, there's a great quote from the movie, uh, The Stuntman, which is about a filmmaker, where he says, he's making what he thinks is an anti-war movie. And he says, a colleague of mine made an anti-war movie and it's a good one and when it came out army enlistment in his hometown went up 35 percent yeah and he's like what do you what do you do about it they made the gatling gun because he said it was going to be so horrible this was the start of the civil war it's going to be so 
well, it's going to end all wars. And then the, that was the most popular gun. And yeah. all these people are yeah. like, Jesus Christ. That yeah. didn't really work out, dude. <laughs> here's, 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 here's the point that I was making, though, is, is that, yes, it can go wrong. And shame on you if it does. And shame on you if you don't fix it. And shame on you if you're not doing it with care. My worry is that we are this is part of the discussion and i feel like we are getting so scared to have the discussion right now mm -hmm. and if we stop having the discussion oh, then God. then Shit. we are fucked you know yeah um uh and and, and th th that's all i'm saying is that art has always been at the forefront right um uh art always does this stuff before uh the rest of us get around to it right um and so 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 that is my worry and 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 and, and that that's all i'm saying on that and and you know of course it's such a complex issue in terms of who's 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 doing the commentary right, and, yeah. and the care with which they're doing it all of that of course yeah. i mean all, all i'm saying is I'm, I'm echoing you know christy's point is that um you know there there are people that 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 do it very well uh and and i don't know that people stop to 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 actually look at the art and see if they are doing it well they're just oh well you can't mm -hmm. talk about that can't talk about that that's you know the, the, the um and and that scares the hell out of me right. see, you should always talk about that in a constructive manner but i think what you guys are all discussing and we we don't necessarily allude to it is the fact that um there is a missing component of competency in consumerism, which is you have an audience and they will sometimes see what they want to see because within their world of experience, they cannot grasp the complexities or the nuance of the scene that is put in front of them that has been created or they're trying to create and they don't understand the context of that. And oftentimes in this social media world that we exist in, things are boiled down to six second clips, 10 second clips, 30 yeah. second clips. Yeah. And you know, you like you're saying, things get conflated where it's like, oh, this person is showing Nazis so clearly they must stand for Nazis. And it's like, no, you're you're missing the context and that nuance. And you're not taking the time to uh, absorb the greater, the bigger picture. And some people will actually refuse to see it because to them it's like a selective viewing, selective listening, selective mm -hmm. seeing. So, you know, that that's part of it. And it's like that's another question that should be talked about is like how – do we create uh, better audiences, ones that have more open minds that are, are willing to look at all of these things, uh, all these variables, if you will, take that in and consider it? Mm -hmm. for, for me, I think because I come from, now I'm not saying Don doesn't come from an any less of an art background. What I mean is like, I came from a, not a fine art, but like a graphic art slash artist background like I've actually had pieces in a gallery things like that it's slightly different than comic it kind of blurs sometimes but my teachers pretty much I mean I wouldn't say I had like the most innovative teachers or whatever I mean maybe it's also part of my personality I just throw a fucking grenade in the room see what happens no it's okay I mean I could say I did too I mean you know I, I went to UCLA yeah, with Charlie Ray and Larry Pittman and Nancy Rupersberg yeah. uh so you know those were my teachers so we can discuss things you know also on that fine art level like you know, Christy, obviously you probably have had these discussions. We always look back at Picasso and, yeah. you know, especially now where things are contextualized in terms of how problematic like a Picasso or a Diego Rivera was. And then you look at paintings like Guernica and it's like, where do you discuss, like, how do you remove the artist from the art? Like, how do we now uh, perceive uh, what is created and enjoy what is created and then separate that from how 
horrible a person might be or like the things that they've done or the things they've done to other people. And we're, we're now living in that time. And it's like, do we take the time to be temperate about it and like discuss things rationally or, yeah. you know, like in social media, it's constantly like clickbait and rage. Like, do we yeah. just sit and See, rage about it without thinking, uh, you know, like what this piece might've meant within the time that it was created? To me, think- to, to me, the balance, I mean, everybody has their own answer to the art, you know, yeah. separate the art from the artist thing. Uh, my favorite example is Woody Allen because yeah. his crimes are inextricable from his art. Every yeah. movie he has ever made is a confession of one way or another. I enjoyed Crimes and Misdemeanors very much when it came out. And years later, I went, oh, no, he's not Woody Allen. He's Martin Landau. That's why he wrote that script. He wrote that script as a guy who had gotten away with a heinous crime Mm-hmm. And the movie is his confession that, you know, sometimes you get away with a heinous crime and you go on to be rich and famous and popular and you have a beautiful wife and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, my joke is, at least in Roman Polanski's films, the rapist is the bad guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, like Roman Polanski at least seems to have a knowledge, you know, from see Rosemary's Baby, see Chinatown. Mm-hmm. I was like amazed at how many of his films and not merely rape. Someone who you trust abandoning you to be raped, your father, your husband, letting Satan rape you, you know, like, so clearly he lives in a moral universe where rape is bad and yet he is a rapist. Woody Allen, the rapist, the hero in all of his films, and that's where I find it unwatchable. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's like, you know, Lovecraft. There are Lovecraft stories. You start reading them, you get two pages in and you go, oh, this is nauseating. And this guy's racism. I can't stand it. And then there are stories in which it absolutely does not come up, doesn't play a part, is not visible, you know. Yeah. And I think personally for me, like for me, it's kind of one of those things, like, as I said, from my background in underground comics and, you know, gal- no, I don't want to say gallery art. It's kind of like. I've had stuff in a gallery. I've had to do like art exhibits and things like that. That was background along with graphic design and graphic art. And my attitude about it is that sometimes, see, I don't like umbrella, umbrella solutions to everything. I think that's really stupid. That's what kind of causes this situation. You know, Mm -hmm. there are times to throw to basically, yes, peacefully discuss things and do things at at an analytical manner. And there's sometimes where you just throw a grenade in the room and see what happens. With me, I kind of like doing the grenade in the room, but I don't know how I do it, but somehow it works out right for me because it's just like, I think it's so unexpected coming mm -hmm. from me. I'm not saying there aren't other women artists that are bombastic or, you know, shocking or anything. There there are, but it's weird because it's like when I do it, I think they kind of don't expect it from me because I'm not like this really screaming loud personality all the time. Like I'm actually, I'm gregarious. I mean, maybe I don't know. That's not how I perceive myself. It's like, maybe I'm just gregarious. Sometimes I get loud. Sometimes I get excited. I get very passionate, but I'm not one of these people that scream and yell and cause a ruckus. But then, mm-hmm. like, I'll throw a grenade in the room with a grin and just like, see how, see fucker, how you like it. And then they'll, and then some people. I mean, it's funny because with some of my artwork, they'll react to me in a way that I didn't really quite expect. Like one time, somebody said to me, "Demon bitch is sex positive." I'm like, what? <laughs> like. I wasn't, I didn't think they were stupid. I didn't think that was bad. I was just like, that was not an angle I was looking at, but there you go. It's like, sure. yeah, Dean Pitch is like remarkably sex positive. I'm like, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I wasn't sex shaming anyway, but it's just. Got that going for you. 
That's the thing about art. It's subjective, right? Like people are going to see what they're going to see. Um, yeah. And you, you can have an influence. Like you talk to people face to face. And obviously you've had those conversations with people. But again, like within the context of one's own experience, like each person will perceive a painting a very different way or a sculpture a very different way. And as time goes on, they can also not know the context. All the people who are looking yeah. at Star Trek Discovery and going, oh my God, Star Trek is so political now. And I'm like, is it because you watch the show from the 60s and you don't get the Vietnam allegory? You don't get the civil yeah. rights? Are you just like so used to a world in which these things are accepted? You know, Kirk and, and Ahura's interracial kiss, the first one ever on television. Yeah. Like, you grew up thinking that was normal because of the politics on Star Trek. You know, like have become our politics. And in certain ways, you know, in queer representation, in LGBTQ mm -hmm. representation, Star Trek has lagged pretty far behind because of literally one or two toxic producers that that had that effect on it. Uh, and now they are catching up in a big fucking way. But it is that thing of, yeah, it's all personal. And, you know, the thing that we the thing that I always want to push back against, though, is there's I, this idea that there's free speech, but there's no free counter speech. And the thing is, it goes both ways. You are free to yeah. make offensive thing. And I am absolutely free to tell you your thing is offensive. Like that's there's no like we, we get we both get to do our thing. And I you know, know it's and, and, oh, and I was just gonna say that and the thing is it is ultimately the market decides. Mm -hmm. Cancel culture does not exist because as long as there's enough people out there who want to buy your shit, who you are and who hates you doesn't matter. I mean think about the fact that when the duck, one of the duck dynasty guys got caught being a horrible racist shocking surprise and so did paula dean the yeah. difference is people that were watching duck dynasty were horrible racists so as an audience you couldn't like they couldn't the people who wanted them to take duck dynasty off the air and he went well no one in the audience of the show is offended by that paula dean is on a cooking show where half of her audience goes, hey, that sucks, and she's horrible. You should take her off the air. It's the same action. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even the same network. But in one case, they go, oh, the racism is going to kill her ratings. And in another case, they go, the racism is going to help their ratings. <laughs> so one show goes off the air, and the ostensibly more racist show stays on the air because that's its core audience. I so kind of all wonder more. You can convince someone to buy. You know. I think it's also more probably, um, it's probably also more cartoonish, whereas Paula Dean, she kind of shows herself, I'm a nice Southern woman with a leg, yeah. and then she says all this shit about, like, somebody in their restaurant, I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> damn, yeah, girl. But that's the thing. You could watch the Paula Dean show and not be, you know, and, and not have the racism thrown in your face. Yeah. yeah. There's also a gender element. I, I, yeah, I, think, oh, totally. I think I think a man can much more easily get away with that shit than a woman yeah. can. Easier. Uh, I mean, uh, look at Martha Stewart you know. and every other person who has committed insider trading in the last thirty years. Yeah, yeah. You know, Martha Stewart went to jail. Weirdly, none of the men who were helping her with the insider chains trading well, went to jail. I, yeah. Yeah, and Avalonia, I mean, your point is well taken, particularly now with how fractured the, uh, the, the you know, how fractured viewership is, the, the audiences are in general, um, and how low the bar is. It used to be that, you know, if you weren't pulling in 25 million people uh, on, on one of the four networks, then you were yeah. out, right? Now, now, if you can get a couple of million, like, it's a big deal. 
Um, and so that's the thing is that one of these assholes can, you know, somebody can get booted off of CNN because they're a fucking cretin uh, or ESPN. And two days later, they're on Fox News sure. uh, with their own show racking up uh, uh, advertising dollars. Right. And, you know, there's always Fox News. There's always Indiegogo. There is always whatever. Right. Yep. Um, uh, 4chan or whatever the fuck the, you know, I know we're I know we're four or five. uh, uh, uh horrible uh, uh, message board websites past 4chan right now. Uh, I'm talking, I'm talking, what's that? It's like there's 4chan and 2chan. And it's weird how they've also kind of shaped the dialogue too. Like, you know, the AOK symbol was just the AOK symbol. Then it went into this whole other thing because they just literally seemed to just make that up. And then all of a sudden, the racist people just took it over. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. It's like yeah. Pepe the Frog. The guy just wrote a stoner comic. Right. And it was Pepe, and all of a sudden they just got acclimated into this whole thing and it's like, now it's not anymore. I'm like, okay, guys, like, whatever. Like, I literally think that those, some of those guys on those boards were like, oh, dude, that wouldn't that be funny if we did this? And they do it and enough people catch on and they think it, that's what reality is. I've seen that happen too many times on the internet too, which is kind of weird because it's like they actually did a documentary about the guy who did Pepe the Frog. He said, I had nothing to do with that. No, he did right. not want that to happen whatsoever. Yeah, and he's apparently like the sweetest guy fucking frog doing shit you know it's like yeah. it's like oh it's this this and this and like because 4chan or 2chan like thought it would be funny to put those two together right and then and that's what happened ended up happening anyway and it's like well i mean in the the ultimate uh, example of that is the swastika which was a hindu and american indian eastern you know, european native, native american symbol native of american, all yeah. good fortune and all that and Hitler fucked that up for everybody. So no, now you can't wear that necklace. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't well, care what your intentions I, are here in human society. Yeah. It means something, you know, I'm sorry that the meaning got changed. I am. It's a bummer, but. Well, it's also like the, 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 the arrangement got changed as it got shifted and. Yeah. All yeah. That. I mean, I'm not making a case. I'm just going on. Oh yeah. Details. Cause I think even seen it in the Czech Republic on like a 14th and 15th century, like sarcophagi. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It was yeah. actually a really good symbol for a period of time. And then he just shifted and said, Hey, fuck you all. I'm doing yeah. it as well. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm writing a, a comic book right now that takes place at the Shaolin temple, uh, you know, in, in China. And uh, there was a giant gold, uh, you know, gold colored uh, uh, Buddha statue right mm -hmm. smack dab in the middle of it. And there was a backwards swastika right on his chest. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a big Buddhist symbol. When I first learned what Nazis were and the swastika, I was really confused. I was like, "Wait, why is this symbol?" You had encountered here? it first as a Buddhist symbol. Yeah, as mm -hmm. a kid, uh, yeah, had to go to temple a lot. <laughs> so that that was you know one of the things that really threw me. But in growing up too, I now joke about it and can joke about it as uh, clearly white supremacy is a joke because the way Hitler. Uh, you know, culturally appropriated the symbol and through the mysticism that they believed in, <laughs> Tibetans are the superior race. And uh, if you're Vietnamese, that means, you know, you have that bloodline <laughs> within you. Right. So technically Vietnamese people and uh, most of the Indochine, the Chinese region uh, are the superior race. And you're going to go by that stupid <laughs> ideology. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, like what, what Christy is saying is how, how these things come about. But then again, like I said, you, are missing that context, right? Like we are doing a real piss poor job of educating and standardizing education so that a lot of people are on the same page and can understand the same thing and have the ability to grasp nuance and uh, and look back at the past and realize what's happening. Like you're talking about with Star Trek, 
you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in an age and be surrounded uh, by people, you know, who, who were able to give me some of that context. And I mm-hmm. was able to enjoy the show knowing some of those things. And, you know, every generation we've come further and further removed from that. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, you, you know, it's, it's important that, uh, you know, creators like you guys keep telling the stories, keep putting out the art, keep engaging people uh, in these conversations. Um, you know, and I, I don't think people necessarily want to be hateful or uh, ignorant. It just, it just sometimes happens. Like I did an event in Colorado a couple of weeks ago and I, started talking to this guy and he was really nice, but he had uh, an ignorance of my, surprisingly a lot of people don't, still don't know how to pronounce my last name. And that's because, you know, a lot of people in certain places don't encounter Vietnamese people. And, you know, he's like, oh, I have a friend with that same last name and he pronounced it incorrectly. I'm like, actually it's pronounced when? He's like, well, my friend's Korean. I'm like, actually your friend's Vietnamese. <laughs> and we talked about it. I was like, well, what are you? He's like, well, I'm, I'm Latino. I'm like, well, what kind of Latino are you? And he's like, I'm Latino from here. And I'm like, here in Colorado? I mean, are you saying you're indigenous? And he's like, well, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. But do you have any other background of Latino, like Mexican or Honduran or Ecuadorian? They're not the same Latino. And we talked about that because in Vietnamese, for example, when it comes to Spanish, the word for Spanish is actually Mexican. And so everybody who speaks Spanish, you're all Mexican, even if you're Spanish. So that's how it is. Yeah, that's how it is in Vietnamese and in our minds. But I told him, you know, knowing other people from other countries. Like I know a person from Mexico is not the same as a person from South America right. or Central America. And well, within each of those regions, there are different countries. Yeah. And he's like, I never thought about that before. Did you, I mean, it's like, you know, Memoirs of Vigatia, which doesn't have any Japanese actors in it. Yes. I, like, like literally everyone in that movie is I, Chinese, I, 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 Malaysian. I think there's a V, I, th- I think France, France Win is in it. Like, yeah. There, there's a lot of there are Vietnamese people. There just doesn't happen to be any Japanese folks in the movie that takes place entirely. Yeah, I looked at that. I was like, "What the fuck?" And then they were like talking, and I said, "I'm sorry, this is like all Chinese accented English. What the fuck?" Yeah, Yeah, no, I I don't know if you know this, but uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a flop in in China, in mainland China, because. What's his name? Chow Yun Fat speaks with a very pronounced Hong Kong accent. Yeah, he's got a Malaysian accent, and people who speak Cantonese do not enjoy that in their, you know, in their movie or Mandarin. Like they, they don't like it. And my favorite example in American culture, and I think it's so telling, uh, is Gone with the Wind, which doesn't actually have any Southerners playing Southerners in it. And I honestly think, I really think that consciously or subconsciously then well if we make our pro-southern civil war movie and there's a bunch of southern accents in it audiences will connect it to jim crow and lynch they'll know we're lying but if we do this disneyland version where everyone has a fucking british accent yeah you know and is doing the worst southern accent ever oh and uh rhett butler from ohio you know like the, the great southern gentleman from akron you know so it's like the way that they made it palatable yeah to northern audiences none of this is going to remind you of the south in any way that you have actually experienced in your life you know and i think that's a funny but yeah all of that the 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 cross-cultural casting i was thinking about the other day all of the actors i grew up with 
playing Nazis in American films British. and television shows, all Jewish. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I know that a lot all of British. Well, especially the guys who, if you yeah. think about it, Germans in Hollywood in the 1940s are going to be refugees. Why are they refugees? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone, and again, everyone who plays a Japanese soldier in a World War II movie made during World War II is going to be Chinese because the Japanese are in the internment camps. Probably the, the Chinese Korean. are trying to be good citizens. I'm going to, I'm going to play a Japanese officer in a World War II movie. You know, where are your papers? Yeah, exactly. No, it's wild, yeah, I, but, uh, well, but yeah, like but to to bring it back around, I mean, look. Uh, it, a, a part to me, a part of the mission of what we do of being artists is, you know, being, being storytellers is you, you know, you open people's eyes yeah, to how someone else feels. That's all, that's all you can do. And yeah, sometimes you get the stunt man thing where army recruitment in your hometown goes up 30% because maybe yeah. you did a shitty job or maybe that audience was just always no matter what the men in uniform are doing, you go, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. You're, 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 you're right, though, that there is there is a responsibility. I mean, I go back to the the Shaolin Temple Buddha example, mm -hmm. right? We have we have you know strived through this entire book that I'm doing to have historically accurate, uh, uh, you know, in terms of place and time and and, and everything. And this Buddha is featured prominently, right? Um, all of that said. All, all things taken into consideration, there is no reason for that swastika to be on the Buddha in the in the comic book. There's just not. Right. There's just not. You know, and, and and of course it doesn't mean that. And you can get into that and the history of it and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know what? You know what the easier thing to do? You know what the more sensitive thing to do is just to pull it out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's that simple. And 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 again, so much of this nonsense that 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 we wrestle with today on fucking Twitter. I feel like Twitter is just fueled by this shit. Um, it is because somebody did not stop and look carefully at the situation and just do the simple, decent thing yeah. <laughs> of removing that and setting it aside. And liter literally, a reader does not skip a beat or anything. Go ahead. I have one. I have one. Okay. I guess this is where I found in context. Um, AMC is putting out a series about Anne Boleyn. They got a black actress to play Anne Boleyn, one of King Henry VIII's wives, right? Okay, fine. I'm okay with that, whatever. And then everybody on fucking Twitter goes on and on about how King Henry VIII hated black women and how she was forced to hide her blackness. And I'm like, please read a history book. <laughs> please. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Like, this is a TV show. And even though this is portraying a historical character, right? Read up on the actual Anne Boleyn. Chances are the bitch was like fucking ethnically English slash French. Stop. Yeah. But then they're no, like, oh, she's forced to hide her black. It's like, chances are she was French English. Shut yeah. up. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. You know, like even with uh, Hamilton, you know, all the characters are played by people of color. And it's like, it's there as a vehicle to tell you the story, but also to bring representation and the idea that right. there's not enough actors of these backgrounds, uh, performers of these backgrounds in. Uh, whatever uh, you know, medium that they're performing within. So it's to highlight that, be a vehicle for story, but also hopefully to get you to be engaged in where you're interested to go back and right. read the history and learn the context of what actually happened, because not everything in Hamilton is a fact. Right. Like, well, and the, the, the I, I mean, just read a fucking history book, please. First. Yeah. Just 
do it before you talk. No, and that, and and that's you know again, I I, I have some admiration for it, but I think I like that. I, like I think ultimately that. Miranda made a giant mistake, which is he ends up all pun intended. He ends up whitewashing those guys. It's a bunch of white people who own slaves, and you're making them palatable to a modern audience by making them not white guys and by not really talking about all the slaves they had. And well, like I, they were saying, oh, Alexander Hamilton, he was totally against slavery. It's like, I don't think Alexander Hamilton, when you actually read the background of what I've read about him, he really didn't give a fuck. Yeah. You owned him, you owned him. You didn't, you didn't. It was kind of one of those things for him. Yeah. That's how it was for most white and white adjacent people for the first you yeah. know, hundred years uh, of America and to this day for some people. But yeah, it's just to me that's a perfect example though of Lynn Manuel Miranda is a incredibly talented, competent person, and I think he made a misstep doing that because it leaves out. I, I just I was comparing it with the movie 1776, which portrays mm -hmm. most of those same people all with white actors, and it presents the crux of the movie is that all these guys punted on slavery and doomed us. <laughs> and that's the point of the all white version of that story is these guys fucking failed on the point of on the on the issue of slavery. Uh and yet the the more culturally sensitive version leaves that whole part out. <laughs> yeah. And that's well, I mean, the, th the thing is is that with Huck Finn, it's a story about redemption when you really look at it. Right. Here's this kid raised in the deep south where other people are considered property by the color of their skin. The N-word is said as like an afterthought is as if, mm -hmm. right? Brought up with a concept that other people that look different than him, you know, they're on certain levels of the property chain, okay? But here's this kid who's kind of like, kind of like a washout, basically. His dad's an alcoholic, doesn't amount mm -hmm. to anything. He's the kid that cusses and shit. But he gets an aha moment, like, Jim is my friend. He's going to be sold. That's fucked up. He's going to be further yeah. separated from his family. I don't want to steal from the widow, but this is fucked up right here. Right. He gets it. Like he gets how fucked up this he's beginning to get it. This is a kid whose dad is a fucking alcoholic piece of shit who somehow comes into a bunch of money and gets acquired by the widow to be raised right. And all he can think about is like, and he curses and he's not a gentleman or whatever, but he just sits there and he's just like, this isn't right. This is fucked up. Like that's the point about Huck Finn and them going like, well, we need to tone down the language here and that it's like, no, Twain was trying to show you how it was right. back then. Yeah. And then now it's like, you got to go and show that in a different, you got to go and show how he realizes that even from that world. And that's what fucking pisses me off about a lot of censorship and a lot of banning books because as offensive, it may be of like this one or that one, and I'm not advocating content of any of them, okay? Mm. But you get to see how they really are when you just read what they write. Mm -hmm. And that's how we learn. I don't give a fuck if people think that that is horrible or terrible or bad, or we shouldn't have that because it's not right. Okay, but we need to have some relics to show you why it's not right. Right. Because it's the whole thing like, wow, we used to think this way. Yeah, well, and, and Huck Finn, as you say, is about a white person coming to realize, you know, that other human beings exist who don't look like him and who deserve to be treated like human beings. There's I mean, what, also, what also makes him kind of more relatable is that he's not really accepted into the quote-unquote 
respectful white society. He's trying to be acclimated because now he has money. Sure. But it's just like he comes from the dumps too. Like literally, like if you read Roots, he's probably coming from the area where they're called crackers, basically. Right. White crackers. Like if you read it, like I'm trying to remember Chicken George's mentor, you know, mm -hmm. there I used to read that book a lot as a kid. So I mean, if my memory's a little bit fuzzy, pardon me, guys. But he's like even telling him like there's even hierarchies in white society like there's the crackers yeah. that are lower than us and mm -hmm. then there's like this this and that and they're kind of regarded badly according to him because you're white how come you're that poor and crappy you know you like you should be better than that and they're not even respected by the black community there too because of yeah. that and that's the discussion like, yeah oh, like sorry. Yeah, that's like from Roots. I mean, I'm just taking from the context of what I remember from Roots. Yeah. And, um, you talk about sharecropping and, and people being referred to as pro-white trash or pro-white folk. And but that's, you know, literally how my father might be glitching, but how my father yeah. explained racism to me when I was a little boy was there are people who need to feel better than somebody else. And if you are a poor Southern white dude, there's someone you are made to you are told you can always feel superior to the richest black man. And that's, that's what power you have, you know? And that's, uh, there's a book, uh, it's such a stretch, but it's such a beautiful stretch. A historian wrote a book about the fact that uh, uh, Mark Twain and General Grant were very close friends towards the end of his life. And Mark Twain is writing Huckleberry Finn at the same time that Grant is writing his war memoirs. And this guy's premise, which I think is beautiful, is it's the same story. Because Grant is a Midwestern kid raised with no particular opinion about slavery, and he goes into the Deep South, and he becomes changed. And he, yeah. by 1865, he does give a shit. <laughs> you know, he does, yeah. does realize, I've been wrong about this. And to me, and we can come back to, you know, all great literature and all great stories, Grant is compelling to me because he changes. He is, you know, he is part of the racist system at the beginning of the war. When they assign him black troops, he says this is going to be a wreck and a nightmare because all he's ever met is escaped slaves. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't spent a lot of time around educated black people. And then the war progresses and he sees how black troops perform in the field. And he goes, holy shit, was I wrong about that? Give me all the black troops. Give me many black troops. I can win this war with more black people. And that evolution is what makes a, a compelling character, having someone that's perfect out of the box. And I've always said this, you know, it's such a goofy thing to, to pin it on, but, you know, Star Trek VI is about prejudice and racism. And the racist in the movie is Captain Kirk. Yeah. And you can do that when you have a popular and beloved mm -hmm. character. You can make a movie where he comes to terms with his own fucking racism and goes, I was, I was wrong. I was afraid. I was mad. I have grievances against the Klingons. But that actually doesn't mean I should let them be exterminated as a race. That would be bad, yeah. actually. Uh, you know, and... and when you can write about a, a character coming to terms with humanity and really learning something, even someone who you have previously put forth as this is a perfect person, this is the guy that has the solution to every problem, never loses his cool in a crisis, and you can go, 
yeah, but he's hated Klingons for the last 30 years, and that sucks. <laughs> you know, so we have our main character who's been a racist for 30 years. What do we do about that? And I'm going like, to point this out. Let's get him through a bunch of shit <laughs> and let him learn that Klingons are human beings and, you know, get on with his life. And the thing is, is that they put it in the context where it's understandable. Now people go like, what do you mean? How is this understandable? It's like, okay, first of all, like it, it shows how it can happen. Like they were at war with these fuckers for like 30 years. Right. Okay. When during war, you get a certain perception of a group of people. Okay. For X amount of years, whatever, either if you're a refugee to you're a soldier, whatever the fuck, whatever you've been taught, propagandized experiences, whatever. So now Star Trek six is one of those things like, oh, this is different now. This is not what it is or what I was taught or this one perception. Now it's like we're at peacetime and that's like, I have to think about them differently. So it's rerouting yeah. what premises. Now I know people, when they go like, when I said you, it's understandable, I don't mean it like, Oh, racism, it's fine. You know, no idiots. It's more of like, look, look in the context of how it happens and then you can solve it. Yeah. So at least like with Star Trek six, they did it that way. Instead of going like, Kirk is bad because he thinks that way. It's like, okay, but you understand how he thinks that way, right? Right. He's not a bad person, but right. he was in the situation. Now the situation has changed, yeah. and now the things have changed. It's not that they were any less beings or people that deserve to live. It's yeah. just you're not seeing them through the same lens anymore. I think in Star Trek VI, the Klingon race is dying, right? Like they're kind no, of... Well, the metaphor is the, the death of the Soviet Union and the... Uh... It opens, basically, Star Trek VI opens with the meltdown at Chernobyl. Oh, and I see. A Klingon power planet has blown up, and the, the debris from this radioactive power planet is going to destroy the Klingon home world and kill them all. So they have to be resettled as refugees. And yes. that's, the, that's, the, that's the premise of it. And also, I think, as part of that story, a vital element is that Kirk's best friend thinks he's a better person than he is acting as. Yeah. That Spock is like, this is never said out loud. It was like, I know you're a good man and you can overcome this. And I am now literally forcing my best friend who's a racist to help yeah. the people he's racist against because it's going to fucking cure him. He's going to, he's going to come face to face with this and he's going to learn from it and he'll be a better man. And I know that because he's my friend. Well, you the know, thing is, like, we're talking they were talking about Ratha Khan, like one of my friends brought this up and I'm going to allude to this real quick, but you know how like Kirk's glasses were like broken, like one lens was broken. Like mm -hmm. I think Koi was supposed to be like, um, fucking, um, Kirk's like emotions and Spock was supposed to be his logic, like both sides right. of his vision. Mm -hmm. And with that one Ratha Khan, I think Spock dies, you know, radiation poison because he sacrifices himself. So right. him, he loses that one part of him. So like when spot, like the thing is like when I've gone through and I guess they do this with cognitive behavioral therapy and I'm not a psychologist. So please like I got, but it's like what I've done with myself when I've had to think about any behavioral patterns that I had to do, I had to face what triggered me and be like, okay, why am I doing it? It's like, you literally had to break it down like logic, like probably Spock had to, because you know, Vulcans are about logic, even though they have emotions. But it's like, okay, from this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. So he logically probably has already kind of gotten over. It's like, we were at war. We were this. We were that with him. Now that paradigm has changed. Now we must work this way. Now Spock is able to do that because he's not so emotionally this, you know, driven. But with, I think, 
Kirk's son, you know, he had a lot of personal experience. I mean, I'm not saying that Spock didn't, but Spock could reason beyond that because, you know, but I mean, you can argue on Vulcans, like they suppress their emotions, whatever. Right. But with, um, but if he's the other side of Kirk, then Kirk is, he's reasoning with Kirk, like, look, the logic patterns have changed. Right. All of these new logic patterns, it's like adjusting behavior. So you're kind of seeing a whole behavioral adjustment. Well, and another, another thing that I think is worth mentioning, and we, we should wrap up pretty soon, but another thing that's worth mentioning about that is, and Spock is also an alien who's part of a minority that exists within the Federation. Yeah. So he might have more sympathy for another minority that now is going to become allied with the Federation than a human being born in Iowa is going to have sympathy with an extraterrestrial from a hostile you know, race we've been at war with. I also want to say as a, as a side note that uh, that thing about, you know, having a character and showing that they, showing that they're failing and showing that they're broken. Uh, my favorite thing about Captain America Civil War is in the mm -hmm. first 10 minutes, uh, Peggy Carter dies and we find out that uh, Pepper Potts has dumped, it turns out to be temporary, has dumped Tony Stark. Yeah. And it's not really, no one ever in the movie goes back and says, this is why this is happening. But I love that in the first 10 minutes they go, here's Captain America losing his moral compass. Here's Tony Stark losing his moral. These are the people they would have gone to and said, Tony Stark wants me to sign this fucking thing and I don't know what to do about it. You know, uh, Cap is giving me a hard time on the Sokovia Accords, Pepper. You know, how should I reason? Like they've lost their souls. They have lost yeah. their... the. They are both broken and sad and mourning, and they have lost something vital to them. And that's and that's when they that's when they go to war with one another. Yeah, you know, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum that they have this they have this political disagreement and they go to war. The storytellers are clear to go. They're also both completely lost and feeling friendless and alone at exactly the moment they come into contact, you know, conflict with one another. And to me, that is just. That's good writing because I hate it when I hate it when writers manufacture conflict between friends, family members, coworkers, and you can tell they have done it just because they need the conflict for their story and going, no, what weakens Captain America so much that he can't reasonably deal with it, that he can't work this out? What weakens Tony Stark enough that he can't work this out, that he can't overcome this? But anyway, that's, you know, that that's the you know the difference between good writing and bad writing honestly to me is you know when you have a character do something because you need them to do it because it's needs to happen for the story versus no this is exactly the thing that person would do in these circumstances suffering from this grief this loss this you know in the case of captain kirk his son was murdered by a klingon captain it has shaped his it has shaped his life experience in a negative way and he needs to get over it so let's all get over it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We usually wrap up with, uh, you know, where are you and where can we find you and what do you have doing next? We've talked a lot about what we've got doing next, but where can people find you, Christy? Well, um, they can find me over on, well, I mean, on the internet. It's uh, I have a link tree. I think I've sent that to you. Um, and it's like got everything, including the Kickstarter, but put, by all means, the Kickstarter will be dropping 
on the 22nd. So that'll yesterday. be yesterday. So um, yeah, go find me through that. Um, support the Kickstarter. We're doing an 8 a.m. launch party on comic related madness. And I've got about roughly about 50 some odd people following me. So add to more guys if you can, or just give to the Kickstarter. I've successfully fulfilled all of them as they've successfully funded. Um, I know you guys have been participants in them as well. Indeed, so, you know, I love how I operate. So guys, you know, just come on in, help with the Kickstarter, uh, go on, buy my apparel, buy my comics, buy my art. There you go. Um, you can follow me on my website on horrortorrestudios.com on appearances. I will be at WonderCon next couple of weeks, I guess, right? Yeah, we in a week and a half, basically, from when oh, they yeah. And Don, where can the kids find you? I'm at Winning It, uh, which is on my name on the screen right there, N-G-U-I-E-N-I-N-G-I-T, on most social media. I will be uh, the week of the 25th through the 26th in Modesto as part of the as a guest of the Latin X uh, Comic Art Festival. Thanks to uh, Dr. Teresa Rojas uh, for inviting me to that, and I'll be moderating a panel on world building uh, at 3 p.m. on that, and then find me with this wonderful cast of characters at WonderCon April 1st through the 3rd as part of CCI's WonderCon. Uh, thank you so much for having us on, and then please do look out. For well, right now running is uh, Cthulhu Invades Wonderland on Kickstarter. Battle Grapple Rebel will be launching the weekend of WonderCon, and then be on the lookout for Retro and an upcoming Upper Deck uh, sketch card set uh, for a series yet to be announced, hopefully uh, by the fall. And working on Pablo the Gorilla number two right now. So for those people who've waited for two years, I'm, yeah. I'm roughing through it. And it's it's got to go through fine pencils and edits, and uh, I, I'm getting there. So hopefully, how many be pages is that going to be? Uh, I, I already have 26 pages roughed out, but I'm trying to get past 30 to 32 so that I have some space to work and rework. Um, and then I was hoping to have it done first quarter, but it looks more like it'll be done sometime in second quarter because of all these Kickstarter launches that are happening this month. Of course. And Ryland, what do you got for the kids? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. Uh, I always have to spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just drunkenly saddled me with it, and so now I have to spell it for you. Um, as I teased in the opening, my latest and greatest comic fit, the tokusatsu joint Suicide Jockeys from Sourcepoint Press, the trade paperback is in your shop right now, so uh, go grab it, order it if they don't have it, and yell at them for not ordering it uh, sooner. Um, you know, Aberrant, Banjax, uh, available on Amazon and, uh, well, no longer Comixology, I guess, just, uh, Amazon mm -hmm. and fine comic shops everywhere. Uh, you can get, uh, Peacekeepers and The Jump, uh, via my Backerkit site. That's the jump2.backerkit.com. And, uh, I too will be, um, at, uh, WonderCon, uh, for all day Saturday at the very least. Um, uh, Immortal Studios is announcing my new book at a panel at, let me see what time it is, uh, 1.30 p.m. Um, uh, a Wusha Comics Immortal Studios panel. Um, so that'll be exciting, and then I'll be signing at the booth uh, right after the panel. Um, I may also be there on Friday. Um, I'm trying to figure out how busy and interesting I'm going to be that weekend, so <laughs> we'll see. Great. I will also be at WonderCon. Uh, currently in your comic book stores is uh, Elvira meets Vincent Price number five, which wraps up that series. You should you should go to your LCS and see if they have any left, and also make sure they have ordered Elvira in Horrorland, which is coming in May. 
in that Elvira finds herself in the little pocket dimensions that are created by all movies. Did you know movies do that? They do that. And in the first one, she is she finds herself running around in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, uh, oh. which is good, clean, wholesome American fun. And uh, coming this summer should be the return of Drawing Blood, and there will be more of that later. But thanks again for listening. Thank you for a really great conversation. And we will see you soon. Thanks for listening. Great one. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.